0: Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, what a blessing. Well, if you're new or visiting here at Calvary, what we do is we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse, and we finished up, last week we finished up the book of Psalms, all 150 songs, songs, and so this week we're going to be starting the book of Acts, uh, and we'll see how long it takes us, and God has a plan and a purpose, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for being so good to us in so many ways. And Lord, we're blessed. We're spoiled, really. We are so spoiled when we see what's going on in the world. So, Father, help us not to become lazy, uh, not to become lackadaisical in our walk, lethargic. Father, help us to be proactive, even as Tad just shared, to invest, whether we're married, whether we're single. Young, old, children, no children. Father, help us not to be on the sidelines, but to be in the game. To be on that straight and narrow. So, Father, we give you these these few moments in eternity. Again, clear our minds, Lord. There's so many things vying for our attention. Even at this very minute, help us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ... That we might be fully attentive to your word, your love letter to humanity. We need this, Father. We don't need another Bible study. We need heart transformation. So transform our hearts. I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 1. Well, we're just going to get the first uh, four or five verses done today. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he, Jesus, was taken up after Jesus through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which Jesus said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we're going to do an overview. That's the first thing we do with every book. It's it's kind of boring, but it's important that you understand why we're getting into the book that we're getting into, and you might be a new believer, you might be unfamiliar with the Word of God, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, please grab one right now, it's very, very important that you have a Bible that you can follow along with, because it's not really what I say, I just try to spend time studying and praying and so that I can interpret it to the best of my ability via the Holy Spirit, but you need to have the Holy Spirit talk to you by His Word by his word. I'm going to come. Pastors come and go. The word of God stays forevermore. So get used to your Bible. And so, Paul writes in Colossians 4:14, 4, Luke, the beloved physician, Luke, the beloved physician. So we know that he was a physician, but as you read the word of God, you're also going to find out that he was a faithful companion. He was a very close friend of Paul's and obviously a historian, and as a doctor would be, they like facts. Maybe you go to a doctor and you kind of think, man, they were cold, and they didn't really even talk about how I felt. Uh, Well, really, they don't care how you feel as far as emotions. They care how you feel in your body, and they want the facts so that they can help you find out what the real problem is, not what you might think the problem is, because you could be way off base. Especially if you go to WebMD, you're basically dying at the end of every day. So be very careful what you look up on WebMD. You see, Luke wrote the gospel which bears his name, and we see here that he's now writing a follow-up letter to the same man. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Theophilus, of which unfortunately we know little of. We do know this, as you look at the slide. There's Luke. We're also going to see this. Theophilus means friend of God. Friend of God. What a great name. And he was most likely a Roman official. Well, how do we know that? Well, that's why you want to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You'll get little tidbits here and there and you'll be able to piece it together. So in Luke one, we read this inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding, complete understanding, of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So again, that's where you can kind of assume that he was most likely a Roman official. You just don't call every person in Rome excellent, reserved for only prominent people. Most excellent, Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things, notice this here, in which you were instructed. Interesting. You see, God wants to reach, bringing it to today, he wants to reach our president He wants to reach our governor. He wants to reach our mayor. He wants to reach your school teachers. He wants to reach your supervisor. He wants to reach people in high places. But he also wants to reach your neighbor and your children and your family members. In other words, everybody. But sometimes we put people so high up and we think, well, I can never reach them. And yes, maybe that's true. I I probably will never have an audience with the president of the United States, ever. That's, yeah. I'm pretty certain that'll never happen. But I can intercede on behalf of those who will be having an audience with him. And that's the spiritual warfare that you and I need to be participating in because the enemy does not want the president or any other leader to hear the word of God. Because when they get saved, then they can change the trajectory of our society. And so it's very, very important that you and I pray. You see, here we see that Luke addresses him as most Excellent and that he had prior training in the ways of the Lord. Somebody got a hold of this man. Some believer got a hold of Theophilus. And so it appears that this man had accepted Jesus as his Savior, and now Luke is sending another letter of not just facts, about the Savior of the church. Theophilus already heard about the Savior, and Luke was writing the Gospel, so now he read the letter from Luke, so you heard all about Jesus, but about the beginning and inner workings of the church. The church. Now let me, help me, let me help you clarify something because I'm sure you know someone or you might know somebody who's going to go down this road. In the early church, they had house churches because it was a small congregation. But as you read the epistles... Paul very clearly talks about gifts and callings and that we need pastors and teachers and that there are going to be elders and there's going to be a working and functioning church, which we're going to see in Acts and we'll see exemplified and played out in the epistles, explained in the epistles. Why do I say that? There is no such thing as a house church where you as a believer, and I've had Christians come to me from this fellowship And say, well, we're just going to have a house church. Come to find out they had issues with the Sunday school or they had issues with something about the church. So instead of addressing that, no, we're just going to protect our kids and we're going to have a house church. Oh, oh, so let me get this right. You're going to be the pastor. You're going to be the elder. You're going to be the deacon. You're going to do all of these things. Are you called? First of all, are you even called to do that? Is that your calling? Are you called to be a pastor? Because if you're not, then you're disobeying the word of God. So as you hear this, you need to be bold enough to say to people, there's no such thing as a house church. There's no such thing. Now, if you have a house church and you actually have a church where you have organization, okay, then have a house church. But don't say you're having a house church and try to justify it in the Bible because no one will be able to justify it in the Bible. Well, my wife and I and our children are having house church. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's not not what the Bible calls us to do. We need each other. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. We need the church, and the church needs us. Both directions. And so here we see, not just the facts about the Savior of the church, but about the beginning and inner workings of the church. You see, the book of Acts will give us details that will cause us to become uncomfortable. Yet challenged, encouraged and strengthened to live a modern-day Christian walk. And again, maybe you come from a different denomination, or maybe you come from a church where you go and you get a pep talk, and you leave the church feeling good. That's not what this church is about. We need practical application. Practical application. And that's what the book of Acts is going to show us and give to us, is practical application, as all the other books do as well. And so as we go through the book of Acts, just don't try to gain more head knowledge. But allow your heart to be transformed. Because some people say, oh, I just wish I would have lived in the early church. I wish I just could have been a part of the early church. They really don't know what they're talking about. The early church had some very, very serious problems. And in the first 300 years of the early church, estimates, four to six million people were martyred for Christ. First 300 years of the church. So you probably didn't want to be a part of that early church. They were messed up, and they were also being martyred left and right. So again, hence the book of Acts is a bridge from the gospels or the life of Christ to the epistles, the life of the church. So as we study this, guys, it's very important for all of us, for all of us to keep stepping back and get the bigger picture. What's the role of the church? And what's my role in the church? Because every single believer, when you come here as a as a new, uh, seeking out to become a member, we do have membership, uh, you have to be here six months before you can serve in anything. That's, that's our rule. We want to make sure that you're called to this church, first and foremost, that you're not running from another problem, but that you're called to this church And we want to, you know, we're not uh, salvation investigators. That's between individuals. But we are fruit inspectors. We want to make sure that as you volunteer to do something, that you're called to do that, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you're humble, that you're meek, that you're willing to die to self, that you're willing to pick up trash, that you're willing to do anything around here that needs to be done. Because that's what servants are called to do. All of us. All of us. Anything that needs to be done. Any servant should be willing. No, no, I'll do that. No, no, that's mine. No, no, no. We should be fighting over it. No, no, that's my job. Get away. That's my job. You won't see that in too many churches, really. You see, Acts covers roughly a 30-year time span and is written in the late 60s, the original 60s. And it will show us not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we put on the cards... Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn to the last page in Acts in my Bible. And I have written down, and I'd encourage you to write this down right now in the front of your Bible. So you have this in your mind as we go through the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. But that didn't stop the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Which I'll get to in a few minutes. You'll understand why I'm saying that. So at the end of Acts 28, I wrote Acts 29. Now, I'm not adding to the word of God by any means, so don't take it out of context. Acts 29, and then I put Jim's life in Christ. Jim's life in Christ. So I'd encourage you to write Acts 29, put your name down, and whatever you would like to phrase, whatever phrase maybe this week comes to your mind. What does the Holy Spirit, what does that mean to you? Well, that's my life in Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. I can do nothing. I can do nothing of any eternal value apart from Christ. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so Acts will show us the Holy Spirit in action in the lives of the apostles as well as others in the early church. We will learn about wonderful traits within the various people that we will meet. We will find a man man named Barnabas man named Barnabas who was a, a generous man, very generous man, as well as one who sought to reconcile others. We will see a young believer named Stephen, or Stephan, however you'd like to pronounce it, being stoned to death with rocks, not with medicinal marijuana, with rocks, literally stoned to death, yet offering up a prayer of forgiveness... With his final breath. Christianity, guys. Not religion. We will take a note of a young man named Philip. Who will stand out as a man of willingness to obey. And go to share the gospel wherever he is directed. We will examine a man named Saul. Who was a staunch defender of the Jewish faith. Even killing. Even killing those who supposedly opposed that faith called the way or Christians. Yet he'll be transformed into Paul. Paul, a gentle, loving mes- messenger of the glorious gospel. We will identify with the Gentiles. Now, again, you might be newer, visiting, unfamiliar with this, so we need to understand these simple terms. If you do not have Jewish blood in you, if you cannot identify yourself as a Jew, then you are a Gentile. You're not German, Hispanic, Swiss. You're a Gentile as we read the Bible. Two groups of people alive on the earth today, Jewish people, Gentiles. So as we read the gospel, you want to know that. And it's also interesting, it's popped into my mind. I read an article yesterday where the Jews are discouraged in Germany. Get this. The Jews are discouraged in Germany from wearing their little capilla. Why? Because persecution is arising. Out of Germany? Go figure. Hello? Didn't you learn a lesson? But it's to get, it's to get the Jews back to Israel. God's word is going to be fulfilled and the Jews are going to go back to Israel because the world is going to come against the Jews. It's the word of God being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. You see, we will see ordinary men and women being labeled with the accusation of turning the world upside down With this new doctrine of what is called Christianity. But in reality, guys, here's the reality. They were turning the world right side up. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were right side up. They sinned and turned it upside down. And we've been upside down ever since. So you and I, we have the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to turn our life right side up. And to impact other people's lives who are upside down, turn them to be right side up. And that's what the word of God will do to anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. You see, Acts is an exciting book that if we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts, will encourage and challenge us in our walk with the Lord. Notice that Luke mentions back in Acts, In verse 1 there, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. You see, we're going to see the Lord addresses his disciples for the final time before returning to his rightful place in the throne room of God. You see, the Lord began a work and now tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to assist them, is going to assist them in seeing that work passed on. So it's very, very important as we start this book, if you're a believer this morning, if you're a believer and you're not seeing fruit in your life as a believer, what is the fruit that should be seeing in your life as a believer? Does anybody know? Galatians. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. If you're having issues in those areas, it's because this is the word of God. You're trying to do it in your own strength, and you are going to fail. But when you deliver that over to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you strength to have self-control, God, give me more love for my supervisor. I hate them. Just admit it. Get it on the table. God already knows, but get it on the table and say, God, I've got the problem, not my supervisor. I'm a Christian. They're not. I'm supposed to be loving them. and In my heart, I hate them. God, I got the problem. And allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart so that you start to love that supervisor and see how that plays out in your life. It's going to transform your life might transform your supervisor as well, but it's definitely going to transform your life. Again, I mentioned earlier, it should be called, this book, The Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referenced some 50 times, and the idea of witnessing is a major emphasis or theme throughout the book. Interesting enough, that is a responsibility of the Holy Spirit to worship about Jesus through his saints His ambassadors. So let's look at John chapter 14. Let's look at John chapter 14. I'm having a hot flash. Turn the air down. Acts, uh, John chapter 14. I encourage you to write these verses down, the references. Study them this week, especially if you're struggling in your life as a Christian. If you're struggling in your life of getting over something, I can guarantee you it's because you have not fully surrendered that area of your life to the Holy Spirit. That's just, it's that simple. At John chapter 14. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Notice the he there. Jesus is capitalized. When you have a, if, if you don't have a Bible where he is capitalized and it's in reference to Jesus, get a different Bible. He should be capitalized. And notice here, He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is capitalized. That's because the Holy Spirit is God, which we'll talk about. That He may abide with you, how long? Until you sin. Until you make a mistake. Until you're not good enough. I would have lost my salvation. If it was up to me to keep my salvation, I would have lost it within 30 seconds of getting saved. No, no, no. He will abide with you, how long? Forever. And who is he? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So should it surprise us when we say that marriage is between one genetic male and one genetic female, that people don't like us, and that they call us names, or they mock us or ridicule us? Should it surprise us? It shouldn't surprise us. Why? Whom the world cannot receive. They can't receive the Holy Spirit. They can't receive the teaching, the truth of the Holy Spirit. Now, an unbeliever can receive the Holy Spirit and become a believer, but they can't receive the truth that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach them because they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. We need the Holy Spirit because it, the world, the unbeliever, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. With you, very important, Acts, and as we do a study on the Holy Spirit, para, right now the Holy Spirit is in this room, P-A-R-A in the Greek. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to the cross. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit will come in you, I-N in the Greek, E-N. So para, in, but Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. E-P-I, upon you, which we'll get to probably next week. So just keep that in mind. Para in epe. And will be in you. John 14, 26. Well, who's the helper? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... Now, what do you notice about that verse right there? Do you notice something that begins with a T? That the Jehovah Witnesses will knock on your door and they'll say, well, a trinity is not, ref- is not mentioned in the Bible. The word trinity is not spelled out in the Bible, so it's not real. It's you got to say, well, you know what, Jehovah, the word Jehovah is not spelled out in the Bible. You will not find, you know, in our English Bible it is, but in the Hebrew, it's not. They would not want to pronounce. The Jews had such a reverence, such a respect for God. They did not believe that the name should cross their lips. So they never fully spelled out his name. We believe it's YHWH or JHVH. We say Jehovah, Yahweh. We don't know for certain. So just let the Jehovah witness know you don't exist because Jehovah is not in the Bible. And then you could say, well, let's forget the Trinity. How about the triunity of the Godhead? And you can reference this verse. What does it say? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, three, the triunity of the Godhead. Don't argue endlessly about the Trinity because we can't explain it. I can't explain it. But I can explain that there are three and that they work together. He will teach you all things. Notice here, guys, why is the church floundering today? I'm talking about the big church. Why is the church ordaining homosexuals? Why is the church marrying homosexuals? Why is the church allowing adultery to take place in their midst? Why does the church allow fornication and living together take place? It shouldn't. And when I find out about in here, we address it. Because that's sin. Just like you don't want me to be in sin, why should I encourage you to be in sin? We shouldn't encourage that in anybody's life, right? We should encourage all of us, hey, get on the straight and narrow. We're heading to heaven. We have no idea when we're going to die. We have no idea. So guys, this is for you and for me. He'll bring remembrance. So again, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So when people argue about, well, men just wrote the Bible. It's not reliable. God inspired men. Well, how did they know that? You just read it. The Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance what we have before us today. And if you don't think God can do that, then God, your God is in a little box. My God has no lid and sides. He can do that, and He did that. And that's what we call the Word of God. How about John 15, 26 and 27? But when the Helper comes, so again, who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. So we know exactly who Jesus is talking about. This is the night before His crucifixion, guys. This is his final earthly Passover. He's giving his disciples the final instructions while they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom <laughs> at the Passover meal. Jesus saying, could you pay attention here a little bit? <sighs> but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, huh, there's that triunity again, isn't it? The spirit of truth, again, notice that, who proceeds from the Father He will testify of me. Can you get any more clearer on the triunity of the Godhead? And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. How about John 16, 7 through 11? Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So now we see the Old Testament. Where the economy of the Old Testament would be, if you think about King Saul, the Holy Spirit came upon him, the Holy Spirit was lifted. The Holy Spirit came upon him, the Holy Spirit was lifted. The Holy Spirit would come upon the prophets, the Holy Spirit would lift. So here's the Holy Spirit was on and off. Not that they lost their salvation, but the Holy Spirit inspired them to do godly things and approach God in a godly manner. In the New Testament economy, the Holy Spirit is wooing us. The Holy Spirit comes in us. We invite the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Again, we'll get to all of that. So just notice that. So Jesus was the one who sent the Holy Spirit. So again, notice as we have a heavenly order, we have an earthly order. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Jesus submits to the Father, but yet they're all one. None of them have come up with anything that the other one didn't know about. No surprises in heaven, ever. And when he comes, here's the job of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. Convict, not condemn. The the world's already condemned, John 3, 17. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. The world's already condemned. So as you were an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit came to you, was wooing you, and something happened in your life where you finally said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You were convicted. Now you might have thought you were condemned because you realized if I don't repent, I'm going to hell and I will be condemned. But it was the work of the Holy Spirit convicting you through the love of God that led you to that saving relationship with God through Jesus. And so our responsibility is not to condemn the person going in to get a, con- a abortion, but to pray for that individual, to pray for all of them, to pray for conviction upon the doctors, the nurses, the technicians, those seeking out, the politicians who want to endorse killing human beings, that they would be convicted... By the Holy Spirit and repent before judgment comes. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Notice that. This past week, an unfortunate circumstance. A distant friend from many years ago took his life. A believer. I was raised in a church. If you committed suicide, you were going to hell. It was the unforgivable sin. Of course, in that church, they didn't read their Bible. Because when you read your Bible, there's no sin that will keep you out of heaven. No sin. Except denying Jesus as your Savior. That is the only sin that will keep you out of heaven. Now, these other sins have dire consequences. Maybe on you or those who are left behind. So we shouldn't do them, obviously. But they do happen, unfortunately. And so we have to make sure that we understand the Scriptures... Because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. So of righteousness, Saul finally realized I'm not right with God. Man, I had the first five books of the Bible memorized word perfect. I was killing Christians. I thought I had it all together in Judaism. And I found out that I had it all wrong. And I needed a savior. And the only way I can be right with God... It's not by memorizing the first five books of the Bible, but by receiving Jesus as my Savior. And that's what Saul did and became Paul. So righteousness here is not being self-righteousness, not memorizing scriptures, not trying to get it all together. No, just acknowledging, Jesus, you, you make me right. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Satan is called the what? The God of this world. Little g. He rules. He reigns. It's in the Bible. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But that's a fact. But, according to Jesus, he's judged and he has been judged. If you're ever in a situation, just call out in the name of Jesus. He has to flee. Demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. If you don't know what anything else to do, if you can't remember a verse, just say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The enemy will flee. Has to flee at the name of Jesus. So, So we look back in Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit has come to testify of Jesus and his ways. And at Calvary here, we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal. Three separate entities, yet one. Very important here. The Spirit is not a force. That's Star Wars. The Spirit is not a force or energy. And it's kind of interesting. I like Star Wars. I've watched the movies. They work the Bible into that. They worked the Bible into that. It's it's amazing how they mock the Bible, but yet they work it into these movies. The Holy Spirit is not an it. So when you talk of the Holy Spirit, don't say it came upon me. It's the third person of the Godhead. And I'm not being nitpicky. I'm just trying to educate and disciple you so that we use proper terminology. Because if you think it's a force or you think it's an it, then that's, you know, that's the way you're going to treat it. It's of no value. No, the Holy Spirit is of great value. You see, unfortunately, many churches today have put the gifts of the Holy Spirit on the shelf with an expiration date of 100 A.D. You see, that's roughly when the last apostle named John who wrote various New Testament letters died. But the various functions of the, new, of the Holy Spirit did not die. With the apostles, nor has he stopped doing the work that he was called to do. You see, the Holy Spirit is alive and well to this very day, and he desires to fill mankind, every believer, with the truth of the word of God and those spiritual gifts freely given to every believer. Now again, there's various denominations represented in this room. I know that to be a fact. And so as we go through the book of Acts, you can stick with what your denomination taught you, that the gifts died with the apostles. You can just put on the horse blinders and go, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen. You can do that. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, not my opinion, I'm just going to read scriptures to you like I've already done, and allow the Holy Spirit to show you in the scriptures that the gifts are still for today. They are alive. We should be using them. Why am I not using them? Because my previous church taught me they died with the apostles. What does the Bible say? I don't care about your previous church. What is the, I had to debug the program. I was raised Roman Catholic. It spent years debugging the program and reading the Word of God to get what's in the Word of God in my brain so that my heart will acknowledge the truth. Not another man's opinion, but the truth. You want to acknowledge the truth. You see, the enemy has caused many to forsake the teachings and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, we see the results in the church today. The church body around the world is predominantly lazy, lethargic, lackadaisical, complacent, and compromising. As I shared last week, in America, 4,000 churches are closing per year, 1,000 new startups. That means 3,000 churches are closing every year in America. How long do you think it's going to take to impact our lives? It's already happening. It's already impacting our lives as true believers. There'll always be a remnant. It shouldn't be this way, but this is the way it is. And so my desire for this fellowship is that we are taught the whole counsel of God so that we might be able to go and teach the glorious truth of that gospel, which includes the wonderful workings of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This is why it's, I think it should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's, we're living in Acts 29. Since then, until now, until Jesus comes back, it's Acts 29. It's our life in Christ. How are we using, allowing the Holy Spirit to be used in our life? You see, if you or if I, if we stop seeking after the work of the Holy Spirit, we are doomed for failure. That's why around here we pray. We have prayer meetings every Saturday morning. We're doing the building project. We're continuing to pray about it. We don't have the um, paralysis of analysis. We are moving forward. I'm not going to get up every week and tell you the little things we do. We are moving forward. But we're also not just going and busting down the door and saying, we're going to do this. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. God's timing is perfect. So we need to be aware of that. We don't want to fail. And I would encourage you to pick up a book by our previous pastor, senior pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's gone home to be with Jesus. It's called Living Water sometime in the future. Living Water by Pastor Chuck Smith. He does a wonderful job explaining the fullness and faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, breaking down the various gifts and their applications in the life of a believer. I mean, it's just one book, but I would encourage you to read that book. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, we find that Jesus showed himself in verse 3 of Acts, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15. Acts 1.3 says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15. 1, Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and therein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And the word vain there is empty. For I delivered... Verse 3 here is a key verse for you and me. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. You can only take... An unbeliever, as far as you have gone as a believer. If you truly do not believe that Jesus can save them, then they're not going to believe that as well. And your actions are going to show that. But if you believe that God can save them, then they're going to see that. And if you have an excitement in your voice about Jesus and that one day you're going to heaven... And that this is just a dash in between two dates? They're going to see that? And they're going to eventually get that... What, what does salt do? What does salt do? It causes a seasoning. But what else does it do when you eat a bunch of chips? What do you want to do then? You want? Where's the water? Where's the water? Gotta have some water. Thirst. The unbeliever will have a thirst for what you have. And so we have to be those ambassadors for Christ. Again, so I need to allow the Holy Spirit to take me so that I can take somebody else. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Peter then of the twelve. And again, this is not chronological. This this list doesn't include everybody because Mary was the first one to see Jesus. So don't get hung up on that. It's just a list. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once during those 40 days. At once, 500 people. Now, if 500 people came into a court of law and testified they saw somebody do something, do you think that might be a little convincing? I think that would be a little convincing. And the jury would say, guilty or not guilty? It's obvious. Notice as well as it goes on in verse 6 of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some have died or fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And so Paul saw Jesus in heaven on the road to Damascus. So the Lord showed himself faithful. Why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. You see, it is the Spirit that was going to give them power to become a witness for the gospel. If you remember, and if not, read your Bibles, you're going to find out on the night of the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to his disciples on the night of the resurrection, John chapter 20, the Bible clearly states that he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So on the night of the resurrection, they became born again and the Holy Spirit came in them. E-N or I-N. The Holy Spirit came in them. Do you see the apostles going out and witnessing in the first 40 days of the church? Or were they hiding? Were they running to Galilee to go back to fishing? where they dispersed all of those. They didn't have power because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet. That's key. Just read the scriptures. That's key as we continue to go through the scriptures. They were instructed to wait, and the Lord said at the very end of chapter chapter 1, verse 4 of Acts, but wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, why is it so important to wait? And why is it so important for us to wait upon the promises of God? Not just what I want. I want a husband. So I'm going to date that unbeliever because that's what I want. Very, very foolish. Very foolish. Don't date an unbeliever. Do not missionary date. It's the worst thing that you could ever do. Wait upon God. He's got a man. He's got a woman for you. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, speaking of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, Mankind, men or women. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Notice that. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know, can you really believe that? I, be, I have believed this for decades. And I have seen this played out in my life for decades. When something falls through, I go, praise God. God, there's something better coming. And it always, it always has. Maybe not better in the eyes of man, but better for me personally, spiritually, spiritually, because that's what God's concerned with. He's really not concerned too much about my physical comfortableness. He's concerned about my spiritual walk with Him. So He's got a plan that's way better than mine. But God has revealed them to us through what? What does your Bible say? Is what? His Spirit. Let's try that one more time. Through what? His Spirit. Oh. Through His Holy Spirit. Huh. I thought it was through the pastor. I thought it was through the counselor. I thought it was through my therapist, my psychologist, my psychologist. I thought it was... Well, God can use any of those people, but are those people using the Word of God? If they're not using the Word of God then they're not going to lead you via the Holy Spirit. They're going to lead you by man's ways, which will end up in failure. And so you need to have the Word of God. You and I, we need to have the Word of God. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit, notice capital S, not your Spirit, because we all have a Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sorry. What was I? For the Spirit searches all things, yes the deep things of God. For what knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? So in other words, if I say to Joe, Joe, you love eating uh, strawberry ice cream. And you might be allergic to strawberries. So you just tell me, no, I don't. No, you love, Joe, I know you love eating strawberry ice cream. What do you say? No, I can't. I can't eat it. No, no, Joe, you know it. See, Joe knows what he can eat. He's allergic to strawberries. What do I know? I don't know him. So when I say that God is going to do something for me and it goes against his word, I don't know God. I could say, oh, God said it's okay. And I'll go to you. But that contradicts the Bible. So it's not okay. So don't try to convince me it's okay. So this is very, very important, guys. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's why this morning you might be going, why does this guy keep referencing the Bible? I came here for a Bible study. And you probably have come to a ch- from a church where you heard jokes and stories and videos and this, that, and the other thing. I want you to compare spiritual things with spiritual things and not conspiracy... Con- Compare spiritual things with my jokes because I don't have good jokes, and then that's going to benefit you one bit. That's why we want to be in the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. These things we also speak not in words which man and wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. As the music team comes on up, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man, notice this here. If you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. But the natural man or woman does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you see how important the Holy Spirit is in your life and in the life of an unbeliever? That unbeliever is never going to get what you're sharing until they receive Jesus as their Savior. So don't argue with them. Help them to see that they need a Savior first. You need Jesus. I can't explain the Bible to you. You're never going to get the Bible. But once you receive Jesus and you ask the Holy Spirit to come in you, Bing! Just like me as a Catholic, I did not get the Bible. But once I received Jesus as my Savior, and then I started reading my Catholic Bible, and then I had to leave the Catholic Church because my Catholic Bible contradicted my Catholic Church... It was the Holy Spirit that revealed the contradictions through the Word of God. It's that simple. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Notice here at the end, verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but we have the mind of Christ. Question is for you and I, how deep is that mind? How deep is that mind? Do I really have the mind of Christ? Do I really let him rule and reign over all of my life? Or just a small portion? How deep is that mind? Guys, we want to go deep in the mind of Christ. So that he'll rule and reign over our lives. All of our lives. 100% of our lives. Are we going to fail? Yes. Are we going to sin? Yes. And Yes. 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 You repent. Get back on the straight and narrow. All right, God, let's do it again. Day after day, hour by hour, minute by minute, what second by second, transformation, transformation, transformation. Father, we thank you and praise you for your Holy Spirit. He is God. He's God. And Father, we thank you and praise you that you didn't leave us here on our own to try to figure this out. What a mess. I mean, the church is already in a mess with the Holy Spirit. What a mess it would have been without the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you and praise you that as believers, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will protect us as we keep our minds, our eyes, our hearts in the word of God. Thank you, Father. And again, even right now, we pray for more. Even as Jesus said, knock, seek, ask. And my Father who's in heaven will give you more of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for more. We don't want to do this on our own this week. We don't want to try to be religious. We don't want to try to be right with you. We want to surrender our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do what you'd have us to do. As Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with the Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. If you need prayer, if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, please come up. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed week.